more like him, where we're looking to Jesus as our example of how he is himself displaying the fruit of the Spirit. So we're going to look to Jesus to recognize that fruit and cultivate that fruit for our own. So last week we covered the fruit of love. This week we're moving on to the fruit of joy. So if you haven't noticed with all the decorations going up, we are moving into the season of joy. Amen? Where we're all getting excited, Thanksgiving is right around the corner, and then as soon as we're getting done with that, my wife and I are going to go get a Christmas tree and decorate. It's my favorite time of the year. So excited. And I, I don't know about you, but i got to be careful with like how high I put my expectations. Like I get so excited, and then I blink, and then all of a sudden January 1st rolls around, and it's like... What was that? That was it? It was like this smoke that I was like holding on to, and then all of a sudden it's gone. That's kind of my weird segue into getting into our text. Thankfully, church, we do not put our, we don't, we don't gain our joy from seasons and circumstances, but ultimately in a person this morning. So would you open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to see how Jesus demonstrates the fruit of joy in his life and ministry. Before we do, let us open up in prayer that our hearts may be prepared for God's word. Father, we come to you. We want to slow down, God, and not, Lord, take into account what we're doing. Lord, that we are sitting under your very words. Lord, may we see them that way. May we embrace them that way. May we receive it that way. Pray that your spirit would powerfully move this morning in our hearts, that we would behold and savor Jesus Christ, and that our hearts would be moved to surrender to the leading of the spirit, that we ourselves may bear much fruit, and that we may find our ultimate joy in Jesus alone. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. Well, open up to our text, Hebrews chapter 12. Let me go ahead and lead us off here. So therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let me pause there, Phil, going back to verse 1. So to kind of bring us up to the speed to the context here, so... Uh, the author of Hebrews is writing to a congregation that was going through severe persecution. And so kind of the main theme running throughout this letter is to endure, endure, endure. Don't stop. Put your eyes on Jesus. And then in chapter 11, he's, he's, he's listing these examples of these Old Testament saints who went through severe trials, severe persecution, yet endured all the same. And so when we see in verse 1, though we have this cloud of witnesses, he's referring back to chapter 11. We literally have people watching on from heaven, these Old Testament saints, rooting us on to continue in the faith in Jesus Christ. And then we see this charge to lay aside every weight, picturing like sin as this, this weight that's holding us down, that's making it difficult for us to persevere, to, to throw it off so that we would be free to run after Jesus. And then verse 2, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. We'll pause there. So we are to throw off our sin, 
endure and run toward Jesus and beholding and focusing on him. Think of like a, a marathon runner. I, I wouldn't know what I'm talking about with that, but if you guys have done races, so you're, you're tired, you're, you're just aching everywhere, and then you get around that corner, you see the finish line. It's way off in the distance. And so all your focus is on that finish line. You just keep on looking at it. Despite you being hurt, you're continuing to run. This is the same picture we see with beholding and focusing on Jesus. That we're getting messed up in this life. Sin is hard. We're being persecuted, and yet we're still looking and focusing on Jesus as the source of our endurance. And then we get the why. Because he is the founder and perfecter of, of our faith. That this Jesus has accomplished our salvation. And this Jesus is empowering us to maturity, to continue running. And then we see why Jesus continues running. Or why Jesus endured. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So not only do we have people rooting us on toward endurance, but we have the source of endurance in Jesus, but we have the ultimate example of the endurance of Jesus Christ. And why did Jesus endure through a brutal death on the cross, a betrayal, and ultimately the wrath of God that was poured out on him so that we could have peace was for the joy set before him. And that joy gave him strength to endure all those things, to accomplish all those who put their trust in him. Now the main point of the, of the text here is to endure, right, and behold Jesus. But from this text, I want to pull out several significant truths that we can ponder on and, and, and meditate on in covering the fruit of joy exemplified in the life of Jesus this morning. Number one, truth number one, we can see here that joy is a result of obedience. So Jesus was obedient to the will of the Father to the point of a brutal death on the cross. John 6.38 says, For I have come down, this is Jesus speaking, from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus lived to do the will of the Father, and, the, and joy was the fruit of the finished work of salvation that God had sent him for. But that same truth can carry over to us. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go ahead, turn our Bibles over to Galatians 5. We're going to get to the text that is the, that is the text of the fruit of the Spirit. You have it on the screen, don't you? Let me just use that. All right. So previous section... Verses 13 through 15, if you're there in your Bibles, is, is kind of leading us up to the point where uh, Paul rem reminds the Galatians that Jesus' death has freed them from this enslavement to sin, and they are now lived out to take advantage of this new freedom of the ability to be obedient, not to abound in sin, but to abound in sacrificial love for each other. And then we come into verse 16 through 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things 
you want to do. So for us believers, when we have put our faith in Christ, we are now indwelled by the Spirit. We are new creations in Christ, and thus we should be led by, guided by, be walking by the Spirit. But what's also true of us, this side of eternity, that we're also indwelled by sin. And, and the, what Trace covered last week, this, this term flesh refers to our old sinful lifestyle. This is both indwelling us, it's battling against each other. We see references of this in Romans 7, Paul talking about his own struggles. And the one that's going to win is the one that you're feeding the most. So we are to walk by, be controlled by the Spirit. And when you submit to the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of your old sinful nature. In other words, this is kind of the same thing, same concept, that we are to surrender to the rule of Jesus. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Make sense, church? Okay, easier said than done. Now we're, And then... Verses 18 through 19, it's not up in the screen, but this is the result of someone who has given them, themselves over to being led by the flesh. And you see this bad fruit that's being produced from that. And then we come to the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, we don't have it? Okay. We got it? Nope. All right, let me turn there. Galatians 5. Bill, can you just put it up there? It's up there? Okay. So, but the fruit of the Spirit, we all know that song, right? Love, joy, peace. So, fruit of the Spirit is the character and attitudes, which is true of you if you are surrendered to the rule of Jesus in your life. We're being led by the Spirit, and there's the list. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Verse 23, that's okay. Those fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against those things there is no law. And then verse 24 through 25 is a reminder to live out what is true about us when we put our faith in Christ. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So since we have put our faith in Christ, we now have to make the decision to be led by, be controlled by the rule of Christ in our lives. That we have to actively die to our old selves and surrender to the leading of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, we will bear the fruit of all that is listed. I once had a story. This is when I was dating Rochelle. Uh, I was talking to a woman and telling her what kind of ring I wanted to buy. And she just told me, she, she, she mentioned verse 25. You need to be led by the Spirit to the ring that you're supposed to buy. And that sounded really nice, but when you get in the context, that's not what that verse means. We're to surrender to being led by our new nature so that our attitudes, our character, characteristics will bear the fruit of Christ-like attributes. All right. Now, 
All that being said, hopefully this is something that we found out that, that in bearing fruit in our lives, even the bearing the fruit of joy, this isn't some passive thing that we can do. That we must actively choose to surrender to the leading of Jesus in our lives. And sometimes, church, we need to be checking who is ruling the throne of our lives multiple times a day. I was on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ for years, and we, we called this a throne check. Like, who is on the throne of your life? If Jesus is on the throne, then you're going to be being led by Jesus and thus bearing fruit. If sin or self is on the throne of your life, then you're going to be bearing the fruit of the flesh. And so here's a real-life example of how this happens. Let's say you get a, a text message from your spouse, and it's maybe demeaning or, or just a misunderstanding or, or rude, and you're waiting till she comes home or till he comes home, and you want to, and the, who's ruling your life right now is yourself, is your flesh, and you want to react with selfishness. You want to react with anger. But then you need to choose. You can go back into your room and do a throne check. Who is ruling my life? You can surrender that. God, I want to act like this. Please forgive me. Jesus, would you come and be on the throne of my life? I surrender myself as a living and acceptable sacrifice to you. And in so doing, you're able to be led by the Spirit and thus bear the fruit of patience, of gentleness, and respond in a Christ-like way. Ultimately, you're able to respond in obedience, which will always bear the fruit of joy. So obedience results in joy. Let's go back to our text in Hebrews. We don't have to have it up, but you can go back to your Bibles. So another significant truth we can pull out as an implication of the text is that Jesus lived a life of purpose. Jesus knew along with the Father and the Holy Spirit that he would enter into his own creation before the foundation of the world. And at the age of 30, he entered into his ministry. This is marked with the, the baptism of John the Baptist, where the Father declares, this is my son whom I delight in. The Holy Spirit comes and rests on him like a dove. And from there, if you just read the four Gospels, Jesus lived a life that epitomized that of a man on a mission. He knew his purpose. Jesus never seemed to be overwhelmed. He never seemed to be stressed out. He always knew what he was supposed to do. He always knew the purpose that God had given him. And that purpose took him through betrayal by his disciples, a brutal death on the cross, and worst of all, the wrath of God that was poured out on him so that we could have peace. And yet, for the joy set before him, he endured all those things because he knew what they were ultimately leading to. Our salvation and ultimately his glory. So what can we learn from Jesus' example in terms of bearing the fruit of joy? And I believe, truth number two, we can learn, pull out that joy is a result of purpose. God has given us, each of us, a purpose in life and expects us to stay obedient to that purpose and that obedience will result in joy. Without a doubt, the people that I have met 
in, in my lifetime that are most delighted in Jesus, most have joy in Jesus, and in this life knew their God-given purpose and were living that purpose. On the other hand, the people that I have met in this life that are most devoid of joy have lost track on what God had created for them and purposed them to do. I think about, this is, this is relevant since it's the Marine Corps birthday, but think about my early years in the Marine Corps. You talk about a group of men and women who just kind of lost track of their whole purpose in life. Why am I pulling out the gear for the fourth time today? Why am I still standing in formation? Why did I even join the Marine Corps? All these young Marines are asking themselves these questions. Yet, if we can admit it, a lot of us this morning have this same attitude that many young Marines have in just life in general. We lost sight of our ultimate purpose and we've gotten lost in the weeds with the detail of our everyday lives. Think of the, the young moms here and I can have great compassion on what you're going through since my, my wife is going through and struggling with the same things, but could be asking yourself, what am I doing in my life? I feel like I just exist to change diapers and feed babies. Well, what about you guys who are, are sick and tired of your job and you do the same thing each and every day? God does not want us to get lost in the weeds, but to recover our God-given purpose in each of these areas of our lives. So when your baby has just had their second blowout of the day, or, or if your toddler just spilled food all over the floor again, you can endure that because the joy that is set before you, that God has given you responsibility over your babies, and you are providing physical, emotional, and spiritual care that, that one day, Lord willing, they can grow up and be worshipers of Jesus themselves. This is the ministry and purpose God has given you in this season. And what about the joy that we can have through our monotonous job because God values faithfulness to our responsibilities and in eternity he reward us based on how faithful we are towards those monotonous responsibilities in life. But I want to press in on, a, on this point even further. Let's turn to Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10. We all know this verse. We all know verses 8 and 9 but a lot of times we skip over verse 10. So for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So we've been saved by God's unmerited favor alone through faith in Jesus alone. It's not whatever we've done to earn that, but it's simply by the favor and grace of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For, this is the reason, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus Four good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, we have not been saved just to be saved. We have been saved by God for a purpose. To walk in the good works which God has purposed for us to walk in. Church, if we are in Christ this morning, you have been eternally blessed to be a blessing to others. 
And whether you knew it or not, when you put your faith in Christ, you have been given new identities in Christ. We, we like to say that you are a son or daughter of God, a new creation in Christ, a member of the body of Christ. But we often overlook another identity that God has given us in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So if you are in Christ this morning, you are in, an ambassador of King Jesus. So just as a king would send an ambassador to a foreign nation to re represent the affairs of that king, so King Jesus has saved us and sent us to this fallen world to represent the affairs of King Jesus. That we have been saved and given a purpose so that others through us may be reconciled to God. Church, are you living your purpose? Are you living your purpose in which God has given you to your neighborhoods, to your workplaces, to your family members? One of my favorite quotes of all time, and I've said this before, and this is a highly military congregation. We turn over all the time, so I can use these quotes again and again. But John Piper says, if we live gladly to make others glad in God, your life will be hard. Your risks will be high. And don't miss this. Your joy will be full. Church, let us pursue our purpose. Let us pursue our joy. All right, let's go back to our text in Hebrews. We're pulling out the implications of this text in which Jesus demonstrates joy. So we are to endure because Jesus endured, and Jesus endured because the joy set before him. And the last truth I want to pull out from this text is that joy is grounded in hope, not present circumstances. Joy is grounded in hope, not present circumstances. So Jesus' joy was not grounded in the, the night before the crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's like sweating drops of blood. He was terrified of what was awaiting him the next day in the crucifixion. His joy was not grounded in his arrest and betrayal. His joy was certainly not grounded in the process of the crucifixion where he was forsaken by the Father. His joy was grounded in the finished work of his death and resurrection and accomplished victory over Satan and accomplished our salvation. I think this is where we get tripped up a little bit. Where we too often confuse happiness with joy. Church, happiness depends on our circumstances going our way. Rather, joy transcends our circumstances and is rooted in hope. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is more of a state of being. And this is why we can get texts and commands like this one in James 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the test in your faith produces steadfastness, steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Phil, can we go back to verses 2 and 3? Notice, 
James doesn't suggest that we count our trials as joy. James commands us to count our trials as joy. And why? So that we can be mature, complete, more and more like Christ. I think the question we need to slow down and think through this is, what is God like that we should be commanded to count our trials as joy, our suffering as joy, rather than a burden as the rest of the world sees it. Let me suggest two pillars of God's attributes to us that can be applicable from this text. First attribute we must embrace is that God is sovereign. God is in control of all things, And most of us, growing up in church, like we intellectually know that to be true. We can agree with that, but as soon as something does not go our way, we want to throw that belief out the window. Right? That symptom brings up when we start to worry. And and, and your worries out there, believe me, I know your struggle. I am a worrier also. But that, our reaction does not negate the fact that this is still true. And we are to maintain our hope and thus our joy through life. That God is absolutely in control of all things. That God has created all things, is sustaining all things, and is is bringing even every molecule of its existence to its intended end. So whatever you're going through in life, know that God is in control and that through all the chaos going on, that God is still on the throne. Second attribute we must pair up with the first is that God is merciful. Verse that beautifully displays these truths wedding together is Romans 8.28. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Search, if we have put our faith in Christ, we are adopted as as sons and daughters of the Most High King, and since all these things are true, through whatever circumstances we are going through in this life, we, we can always have great hope. God is sovereign. God is merciful. And thus, we can have great joy. Now, I want to close here, but before I do, I want to make sure our joy and delight is full as we leave here this morning. John 15, verses 8 through 11 says, By this, this is Jesus speaking, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This passage may sound familiar. I believe this passage, John 15 and Galatians 5, are really talking about the same thing, but using different terms. Jesus tells us that if we want to bear fruit in life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, 
We must abide in Him by loving others and thus obeying His commands. And in so doing, our joy in Jesus will be full. Well, what keeps us from bearing fruit? Simple answer is not abiding in Jesus. It's being led by the flesh rather than the Spirit. But in my years of of counseling, other believers, I've seen just a pattern, even in my life, of of we're we're trying to walk in Christ, but the enemy comes in, he like creates this, this barrier between us in Jesus, where it's just hard to abide in him. So I want to give us gospel truths where we're beholding and focusing on Jesus to carry us through so that we can be stirred up to abide in Jesus all the more and thus our joy in Jesus may be full this morning. So when we have fallen on our face for the millionth time with a particular sin, and we're believing truths about ourselves that we, we don't measure up. And that truth is pulling us away from pursuing intimacy with Jesus. How many of us have been through something like that? I go through that weekly, sure. Church, remember and embrace a greater truth. That Jesus lived the life we couldn't and his obedience is now counted to us. Romans 8 verses 3 through 4 says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Sound familiar, right? So Jesus paid the full penalty of our sin And his perfect obedience to the law is now counted to us who trust in him. Now what about those of us who are under the full weight of condemnation? We have an easier time believing and seeing God as as all holy, and yet we, we struggle with that aspect of God's grace and mercy. And because of that, we want to run away from his presence rather than toward it. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. So the wrath of God was poured out on the cross, was focused on the cross. And this is now the result of us, result for us, that we who trust in Christ, Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Church, it is because God is holy that he must punish sin. Yet the grace of God sent Jesus as our substitute so that we could have peace with God and enter boldly into his presence despite our continued struggles with sin. It was all poured out on the cross. There was no more wrath available to those who have put their faith in Christ, only God's loving disposition toward us. Lastly, what about those of us who feel enslaved to a particular sin? Important significance for us with the resurrection 
is that Jesus has defeated sin's power over us. Romans 6, verses 6 through 7 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we could no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So in putting our faith in Christ, our old self no longer lives, but Christ lives in us. We hear that in Galatians 2.20. And we now have the ability through God's grace to say no to the sin that's enslaving us. Does that make sense? By God's grace, we're no longer enslaved to sin. We are freed from that. Though we still sin, we have the ability to say no and be obedient. That's only available to those who put their trust in Christ. Titus 2, verse 11 through 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Now, I'm not advocating at all that, that the Bible teaches that we can live sinless lives this side of eternity. But I am speaking the truth that because of the resurrection, sin's power has been broken over us. And we now have the ability to be led by the Spirit to choose obedience. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Just summarizing this point, when we put our faith in Christ, we are new creations in Christ. We no longer have to give in to sin. An illustration of this is long ago when, when the, the North won over the, over the South in the Civil War, there were many freed slaves, and yet a lot of these people in the South still call them to work for them and still call them slaves, but they were believing that they were still slaves, and thus they followed that. They didn't know that, that the North has accomplished that victory, that they have been freed. A lot of us are still living lives in Christ, that we are enslaved by sin, and that we're not owning our new identity, that we are no longer enslaved. We can obey through the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. So in Christ, we are righteous, we are forgiven, right with God, and we are no longer slaves. Church, if we are embracing these gospel truths, let them stir our hearts to submit to the rule and leading of the Spirit that we may bear fruit, and in so doing, our joy in Jesus may be full. I'm going to end. Before I do, I want to speak to the unbelievers here this morning. No doubt these are some awesome truths, but they are only made available to those who put their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And if you haven't made that decision this morning, unfortunately, I can't give you that same hope, and that joy is, is not yet available to you. But God is gracious and merciful. And even though you are separated from God because of your sin, God has sent Jesus to die on the cross and offers forgiveness for your sins. And Jesus has raised from the dead, and in believing in him, God offers you to be completely reconciled in relationship to him. Please, I urge you, if you are in that camp this morning, don't wait any longer. 
And I end here. You can come up to me after the service or go up to, to Trace. We would love to talk to you more about that. But please don't wait any longer. And church, let us submit to the rule of Christ that we may bear fruit of joy. That our joy in Jesus may be full. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we all fall short. How we all continue to live out lies about ourselves. How we believe lies from the enemies, God, the enemy, that believe lies from Satan that cause us to not abide in you, that cause us to run from you. It causes us to give ourselves over to the rule of the flesh in our lives. But God, you are merciful. You are gracious. And in Christ, we are kept by Jesus. And that you pursue us. You do not give up on us, but that you will and work in us to accomplish maturity and completeness in Christ. We love you. We praise you. Oh, Lord, may we respond in faith. May we respond, Lord, to your love. May we abide in you and that you would bear fruit through us, oh, Lord. And, God, that our joy may be full in you. In Jesus' name, amen.